Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'd like to begin just by praying together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we take time now to turn our hearts and our minds towards your word. I pray that you would prepare us to receive what you would have for us. I pray that you would make our hearts good soil, that it would produce a good crop of righteousness and love and obedience to you. All these things I pray in your name. Amen. So, Matt, I'm sure you remember a little while back having a children's birthday party. I'm guessing most of you in this room, at some point, hopefully as a child or as an adult, have had the opportunity to participate in a children's birthday party. Uh, Ellen and I... We just have kind of those age of boys right now, so a lot of our weekends are taken up with, with children's birthday parties. Um, and I'm, I'm curious for the kids in the room, how many for you, like your favorite part is the meal, like the pizza or, or whatever it is? Okay, a couple, couple of hands. Uh, for how many of you it is the cake? Okay, I'm seeing the same hands going up. Uh, and for those who, it's your birthday, when it's your birthday, how much your favorite part is opening the presents? Oh, yeah. You know, I've, I've noticed that there is this pattern to a children's birthday party. There is sort of like first some kind of frenzied chaos, followed by a meal, typically pizza, and then there's some more frenzied chaos, and then there's like a little bit of quiet around the cake, and then there's this sort of like semi-controlled frenzied chaos around opening the presents. And it is, uh, it is remarkable to watch children open presents because they do it with gusto, right? I mean, they go after it. Um, and I, I, I've noticed that some of the presents come with these, like, pesky little square things on the outside, right? There is there's the, the card, right? And as a parent, you have to coach your child you need to read the card first, right? You have to open the card first, and your kid's looking at you like, are you crazy? There is a present right here. Like, why on earth would I waste time with this card? But the, but the reason we do that is because, hopefully, as adults, we have matured a little bit in this, and, and we know that behind the gift, there is a giver. And by opening that card, by taking time to read the words, you are honoring the person who has given you the gift. And we recognize as we get older that in actuality, as much as we may love the gift and appreciate the gift, at the end of the day, what is actually more important is the relationship with the giver and not actually the gift itself. We've been talking the last couple weeks about this idea of hungering and thirsting for God. We talked in Psalm 63, uh, we looked at the Psalm of David where he talked about this deep longing he had for God. He compared it to being in a place without water. 
and having this deep thirst and hunger for God. And then we looked last week at the church at Laodicea, and one of the things that was a barrier to them really desiring God, that being kind of in a place of spiritual complacency. And one of the things we talked about was that they had lost sight of some of the gifts that God gives. They had lost sight of God as their provider. They had lost sight of the fact that they were spiritually blind and that God had removed their spiritual blindness. They had lost sight of the cost of the covering of their sin. I want to look this week a little bit of what does it look like if we forget the giver? And in particular, with relation to sin and our forgiveness. Because that is the greatest gift that we have received, right? Is the gift of the cross, the fact that Christ has come and that we can sing songs like, it is well with my soul now because of the work of Jesus. There has been this very great gift that we have received. And my question for today is, do we just want the gift or do we actually love the giver? And to look at that, I want to go into 1 John, and we're going to read chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. And I go into this knowing there's no way I'm going to be able to read it nearly as well as what was done earlier. So that was, that was wonderful. So starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is a letter from the Apostle John to the church. And at the beginning of this letter, he has laid out who it is that he worships. In verse 1 of chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He has drawn out at the beginning Jesus. And he uses very sort of tactile words to talk about how we saw him, we touched him, he was there, we heard him, and he was the word of life. Just like it talks about in John 1 that the word, this word that was there at the creation, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he has laid out, there is this word of life that has come. He is the source of where we have life. And now in verse 5, he says, this is the message we have heard from him. So this is a message that is coming from the word of life. What is the message? That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So he draws out this analogy of light and darkness. 
So I want to spend a minute to talk about what he's getting at with this. Now, in the scriptures, there's lots of places where light and darkness is used to talk about moral goodness, right? That God is completely morally good, and in him there is nothing that is evil. And that is true. There's other places where light is used as God's holiness. You can think of a number of stories in the Bible where when God shows up, there's like this bright, blinding light that represents the, the holiness and the glory and the majesty of God. But in this case, I think John has something a little bit different in mind. And the reason for that is in verse 7. He says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So if light there is just talking about moral goodness, then what John would be saying here is, so long as we are morally good, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. And that's contrary to the gospel, right? The gospel is not that somehow we were morally good and therefore we received salvation. No, it was that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I think John is getting at something a little bit different here with light and darkness. I think he is using it much more in the sense of truth and deception. He's saying God is totally what is true. He's true, totally right. And there is nothing deceitful about him. There's nothing, there's nothing that is a lie about him. Now, there is still an aspect of what is kind of morally good in that. Because when I talk about the truth of God, I don't think he's just talking about facts about God or that somehow God is just truthful about what he says, which he is. But I also think there's getting at that there is a way that is in accordance with that truth. There is a way of living. There is a path that is in accordance with the truth of God. And then there is a path that is not. And the path that is according to the ways of God are what is true they're what is light, and the ways that are not in accordance with that path is darkness. So he says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So here he gets at what's at stake. He says that if we are walking in accordance with that path that is the light, then there is the opportunity for fellowship with God, but if we are walking in a path that is in darkness, there is no fellowship. This is what's at stake in everything he's talking about here, and I think this is really important and gets to some of the things we've been talking about previously. So you may remember when we looked at Acts 2, there's this word fellowship that showed up, actually in relationship to the church. One of the things that the early church was supposed to be devoted to was the fellowship of the saints. And we talked about then that, that it's more than just being in relationship. And we talked about then that there's like churches have a fellowship hall, which is the place where you gather for a meal, right? That's part of it. But real fellowship is speaking to a depth of relationship. It is speaking to a, a, a communal relationship, something where there is a, um, just a depth. Think of like family. A family has fellowship with one another. There's a depth. There is a, a closeness there that I think is intrinsic to what it means to have fellowship. And I think this resonates with what we've been talking about with regards to hungering and thirsting for God. That at the end of the day, what God is longing for from us is fellowship with him. 
He has pursued us to be in relationship with him. And that's what you see reflected in, in David. That's what you have seen was lacking in the church of Laodicea was that longing for that closeness, that relationship, that longing for fellowship. And John says that's what's at stake here, that if we are walking in darkness, then there is not going to be that fellowship. Well, then maybe we're in trouble, right? What do we do knowing that we are sinful, fallen human beings, that daily we are messing up? Like, what hope do we have then that we are going to be able to have fellowship with God? He goes on in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So here he lays out what does it mean for fallen human beings to be walking in the light. He goes on and says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what he's saying here is, what does it mean to walk in the light? It means that we are confessing. It means that we are being transparent. It means we are bringing to the light our places of sin. And he says that if we, are, if we will do that, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. But he also says that there's another path that we might take, which is if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, that there are ways that we convince ourselves that we don't have any sin and that we're fine. And he says, if you think that, you are fooling yourself. You are lying. You are living in the dark. You are not seeing what's actually happening there. Now, I'm going to be honest, I have not actually run across too many people who came to me and said, you know what, I think I am completely perfect. I have not run into anyone that thinks that. So what does this mean to be deceiving ourselves that we, we have no sin? You know, I think the way that tends to manifest is in things like, you know, I've messed up, but I think my good still mostly outweighs my bad. Or, you know, I've made some mistakes, but really I don't see that there's like this firm commandment that I have to, to, to follow. It's just kind of making sure that I don't hurt people. Or, I, yeah, I've done some wrong. I see that. But, man, did you see that other guy? Like, do you know what he did? Right? Compared to other people, I am really not that bad. And what John seems to be saying is if, if that's what we're telling ourselves about our sin, we're missing the boat. We're, we're, de we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is actually not in us. What is the path of light? The path of light is recognizing our sin. It's, it's recognizing that and I think this happens to us first when we first come to Christ, and perhaps is a reference point for those of us who have, who have had that moment of coming to Jesus and having our spiritual sight opened, and in some ways we see our sin clearly for the first time. And we, we come to see that, you know, I thought I was just kind of doing a couple of eh, maybe shaky things here and there, but in actuality, I was rebelling against God. 
I was fighting against the God of the universe. I did not want his rule in my life. And the things I was doing were a reflection of that. And this sin think, this runs deep. This isn't about a couple decisions. This is about my heart disposition towards the world. This is about the way I see people and the way I see others. And even the way I see myself, like this sin thing has its hold on me. That, I think, is what he talks about in terms of walking in the light is when we see our sin in that way and we turn to God and we confess to him. This is what I've done. This is, this is how I am. And what does he say? And this is, honestly, one of the most beautiful verses. He says... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, you want a verse to hold on to with some hope? It's that one, right? That if we are willing to walk in the light and confess our sins, it says here, it gives us an assurance that God will forgive. And not only will he forgive, but he is both faithful and he is just to do it. He's faithful because he's faithful to his promises. These are the promises of Jesus, that, he, that, that salvation was going to come through him, that he was going to take the penalty for our sin. And so God is faithful to the promises he made, that he was going to provide this, this redemption for us. And he's also just. It's right. It's just that he do this. And the reason is because the penalty of our sin, the wages of sin being death, that penalty was paid on the cross. And so when God forgives us, yes, it is abundant grace, but it is also just because the penalty has been paid. Like this is the gospel here. And this is great news for, for Christians and non-Christians who recognize I am a sinner in need of grace. And this sin thing runs deep and what hope do I have to have fellowship with the Father? And he says, confess your sin and the blood of Jesus will cover you and God is both faithful and just to forgive. Praise God. Amen? But I also think that this is a point where we can get things a little twisted. And I think that the next verse in 1 is really important to read here. 2-1, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John clarifies here, and he says, this is an amazing gospel message, and I am telling this to you, I am writing this to you, so that you will not sin. 
right? He is pointing out here that God's forgiveness, his grace, and his call to confession is intended to turn us away from the things that will be destructive of us. It's to turn us away from the path of darkness and onto the path of light. And so that there is a call that, yes, we are confessing our sins, but that involves a repentance, a turning around and walking in the other direction and pursuing the things that Jesus has commanded. And that that is a a sign that we have truly come to a saving relationship with Jesus, that we are longing to keep his commandments. Not because that is what saves us. We don't have merit that saves us, but because we now have a relationship with a loving father. And I think that there is a way that sometimes the, the just abundant grace of of God can be twisted into what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? A grace where we start to take our sin again very lightly, where we kind of take an attitude of, well, I know I'm going to be forgiven, so I guess I can just go do whatever I want. And it starts actually to become a way that we again minimize our sin. We no longer still have that sense of the depth of our sin and how much it cost for our sin. It's almost saying, you know, I I want this sin so much, I'm going to go do that. And I guess I'm willing for Jesus to have to pay for that. And I think if that has become our attitude towards sin, if we have started to take on this attitude of cheap grace, what we're essentially saying is I am not actually interested in fellowship with the Father. I want the gift. I'm really not interested in the giver. I want the forgiveness I want to be able to, to sin and not have to, have to worry about the consequences of that. But I'm actually not interested in having a loving relationship with the Father who is, who is light and in him is no darkness, which means that for me to have fellowship with him, I have to be following in the path of light that he has laid out. And this is where I see this issue of our sin and forgiveness tying in with our hungering and thirsting for God. Because what is the heart issue in the middle of this is we have, if we are taking on that attitude of cheap grace, we have come to fail to recognize the fact that our sin breaks fellowship with the Father that we have to continue to confess our sin and that there is a way that God has laid out that means that we are walking in fellowship with him. And if that is not happening, if we're taking on this cheap grace, then we are getting a huge, big, red warning sign in our lives that we have lost our hunger and our thirst for God. And now all we are caring about is the gift and have lost sight of the giver. So, you know, this whole series we are looking at What does it mean to hunger and thirst for God? And what are the things that keep us from that? And my question for today is, do we long for the giver of the gift? When we look at our salvation, when we look at the forgiveness, this just beautiful gospel that we've given, been given by God, 
Are, are, we, are we like the kid that just goes after the gift without any thought to the fact that there is someone who gave that? Or are we looking to have a relationship with the giver, recognizing that the gift is there to facilitate that? Do we want his truth? Do we want a God in our life who is light and in him there is no darkness at all? I'd like to take time now to just give us a couple minutes of quiet in our hearts and I'd ask you to just look at your life and consider how are you viewing your sin? How are you viewing forgiveness? Has there been any amount of that attitude of cheap grace that perhaps has pervaded your heart? and ask you to turn now and confess that, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive and is deeply desiring for that close fellowship with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us a great gift, and you are the giver. Lord, we take time now to just seek you. Lord, we confess now that, Lord, we, we at times cheapen your grace that we try to take advantage of it, that we take it for granted at times. We confess that to you now, recognizing that in doing so, we have just lost sight of what it means to truly have fellowship with you, to really hunger and thirst for you. We ask you to forgive us And pray, God, that, Lord, we would know your forgiveness even in that and would experience again afresh the joy of relationship with you. You are good and your mercies endure forever. In your name we pray. Amen.